Welcome to Parley, the Hindus' weekly discussion podcast on the big news issues of the day. Following widespread criticism, the Kerala government decided early this week to put on hold a controversial ordinance that empowers the police to arrest anyone expressing or disseminating any matter online that it deems defamatory. However, the move to introduce such a law in the first place shows that state governments believe that existing laws are not adequate to deal with social media abuse and cybercrime. To what extent is this true? My guests on the podcast to discuss this issue today are Vrinda Bandhari. She is a litigating lawyer in Delhi, counsel for the Internet Freedom Foundation, and specializes in the field of digital rights, technology, and privacy. and rishab bailey a lawyer working in the technology policy team at the national institute of public finance and policy he works on issues such as data governance privacy and surveillance online content regulation and intermediary liability rishab and brinda thank you so much for joining us on the parley podcast today and for making time for this thanks so much jayant i apologize in advance to your viewers i have a little bit of a cold so if i cough during the podcast i'm really sorry no that's no problem um, okay, so let me start with yeah, yeah. uh welcome rishab so uh, let me start with the questions so um you know the kerala government has put this uh, this proposed law in abeyance now yeah. but um you know despite that uh, some talking points still remain so yeah. the principal argument that the kerala government had in bringing this law was that the central government has not so far brought in legislation to replace the revoked section 66a and uh, that the kerala government says had left the police hamstrung in effectively dealing with social media abuse and cybercrime so um the first question then is uh, is is this claim true and are there actually like, the existing laws are they effective to deal with these issues so let's uh, let's start there brenda uh, maybe you can start first yeah uh thanks dan really excited to be on this podcast uh so i think what the kerala experience shows is obviously a belief that many state governments have that laws are inadequate but i would argue that actually our existing laws are adequate and the issue is not just a weak implementation like you pointed out but also misuse and i'll sort of come to that so just if we very simply look at what are you know a broad gamut of laws so we have the indian penal code and that you know that criminalizes speech that is obscene um defamatory that insults the modesty of women and intrudes on upon her privacy it punishes anonymous criminal intimidation it punishes voyeurism it punishes uh, digitally enabled stalking hate speech um and even uh, non consensual sharing of sexual images online in addition to that you have the it act the information technology act that punishes a uh, speech that is obscene so that section 67 section 67a any speech that is sexually explicit and then you have the intermediary obligations that are placed under the it act where intermediaries have a duty of due diligence and to take down content based on a request by a government or a court order of any information and this is actually very broadly worded so any information that is grossly harmful harassing blasphemous defamatory obscene pornographic pedophilic libelous invasive um to another's privacy hateful or racially or ethnically objectionable disparaging etc etc so as you can see there is a strong and wide gamut of laws that does cover 
all of these kinds of offenses. You do have states uh, which then believe that obviously the law is inadequate. So apart from just Kerala, you also have Chhattisgarh, for instance, which had recently introduced uh, uh, and which had recently brought in an amendment to criminalize sexual harassment online. Uh, which so it's it's a similar sort of uh, concern. And that again, we see, and maybe we can discuss this later on, the wordings of the law become very important because again, this looked at, this, this section criminalized the making of obscene, lewd, filthy or indecent comments online. And then we see this law being misused. It's brought in in 2020 and then it's misused against Mohammed Zubair, who's the Alt News co-founder in that famous case. And so the issue is not just about laws being there. There is also... I think the focus has to be from state governments in improving the criminal justice system, in making it easier for women to be able to access the system, in be- being able to make a complaint to the police, in being able to prosecute the complaints completely, um, and also to prevent misuse. So there is a lot of research that has come about. So Point of View, which is an organization, had conducted research, and that demonstrated that Section 67, which is meant to cover obscene uh, of, uh, obscene speech only, is actually used as a catch-all offense um, to cover cases that have very little to do with obscenity, but instead relate to political speech, criminal intimidation, um, you know, etc. Right. Um, uh, Rishab, do you want to jump in there? Because Rinda mentioned sure. this issue of, um, you know, is that also an issue of implementation here, basically? No, absolutely. Um, I actually agree with Rinda in terms of the fact that there are many, many laws that can be used to deal with the same sort of issues that the Kerala law is attempting to deal with. Um, you also have a number of uh, IPC provisions that have been applied, for instance, in the context of fake news or say when there's abetment to suicide, where online self-harm has been promoted, so on and so forth. Um, generally speaking, however, I don't think that there's a doubt that there is a problem with hate speech in the online space. I mean, this is something that's been discussed at various levels of government. And in fact, in 2017, the Law Commission of India recommended that two new provisions be introduced to the IPC to specifically deal with online hate speech. Of course, these provisions were worded far more tightly than the Kerala law, uh, the Kerala law has been. Uh, the central government has also initiated consultations on amendment of the IT Act, and one of the issues being taken up in this context is also likely to be the scope of offences under the Act, and in particular, whether six, Section 66A needs to be replaced with a better drafted provision. Of course, putting in place arbitrary or poorly defined offences is really not going to help the situation. Um, so in some ways, the Kerala fiasco, if one may call it that, basically shows that the process of making new laws is not particularly good. So rather than rush into making a new law that is likely to be struck down by the courts, as, the, as we saw, the Kerala High Court had already stayed implementation of this law, it might have been better if the government had actually outlined a specific problem and conducted more transparent consultations with the stakeholders involved to try and figure out solutions. Of course, as you've pointed out, enforcement and implementation of existing laws also is not very good. Uh, this is both due to systemic issues as well as problems with the existing legal framework in India. Um, as Rinda points out, I think it's common that knowledge that it's generally not very easy for victims or individuals to file and proceed with complaints. I mean, generally, the hassle is not worth it. Um, what's interesting, actually, in this respect is that given the massive usage of the Internet in India, the huge amounts of hate speech online or what you and I would normally recognize as hate speech, there's a really low number of cyber crimes per NCRB data. So uh, if you look at data for 2017, for example, there are only about 21,000 total cases in India, which is, I mean, a huge jump from the 12,000 odd cases in 2016. But it still appears to be a fairly low number in the Indian context. 
Um, of course, this is not to blame law enforcement agencies entirely. I mean, they're generally speaking under-resourced and not always properly trained. Uh, another common problem is that the interface between law enforcement and intermediaries is very poor. So very often state agencies will complain that intermediaries don't respond or they don't respond in time to their request for data or assistance or whatever. And on occasion, intermediaries can also claim that Indian regulators and courts have no jurisdiction over them. On the other hand, intermediaries complain about law enforcement agencies not following due process or making unreasonable or arbitrary demands. So these kind of issues are also driving calls for laws pertaining to data localization as well as reform in the general international coordination and data exchange process. Uh, overall, I would say it's, the problem is not so much that we don't criminalize enough things in India. I mean, we do. Our criminal laws generally give a fair degree of latitude to the state. It's just that criminalizing more and more things in itself isn't going to solve any problems. As has been pointed out by numerous commentators, this is just likely to give the state additional powers which can, in various instances, be misused, particularly if the provisions of law are not particularly well-drafted. And I mean, I think, Jayant, if I can just kind of follow up on the point that Rishab made. So obviously, sure. we all agree that the you know misogyny or the patriarchy that exists in the offline world does get exacerbated in the online sphere, right? Because of anonymity. So there's a sense of, you know, relative obscurity. There's a perceived majority status. There's also desensitization that fuels more toxic behavior online. But before introducing a new offense, so, you know, whether it's Kerala's 118 of the Police Act or Chhattisgarh or anything else, I think we need to ask ourselves three questions. First, are the current laws inadequate to address the act that is sought to be criminalized? Or do they in any manner fail to take into the account harm experienced by women? Second, what are the wordings of the proposed new offense? And in many cases, you know, the proposed offense may be worded, like I think in the Kerala case, we saw this in a very vague and overbroad manner, which even though it's intended to stop an illegal act, actually promotes misuse. And the third question is, are there other legal and non-legal alternatives that may better address online hate speech or fake news um, you know, when it's targeted, especially uh, at certain minority communities. So I think these three things, and apart from this, the public consultation process that Rishabh mentioned, I think these are the preconditions before we start thinking about new laws and not just a knee-jerk reaction. Right, perfect. Um, I think that uh, sort of lays out the broad contours of the discussion um, as it pertains to this new Kerala law. I want to take both of you back a little bit um, so, you know, it's been it's been five years now, I think, since uh, Section 66A was struck down by the Supreme Court. That was, um, you know, widely regarded as a great moment for free speech in India. But I want to ask you, you know, I think, Rishab, you covered this a little bit in your answer. But what does the legal landscape on regulation of content online look like post the 66A judgment? Um, and has there been any significant legislation or guidelines on grievance redressal um, or removal of offensive content and do these work effectively? Uh, to answer your question, actually, quite simply, uh, there hasn't been any single legislation that deals with online content, though, as Vrinda also mentioned, there has been uh, there have been some states that have put in place uh, amendments to the IPC and so on, which do deal with certain types of offenses. Uh, that said, as I mentioned, they have there has been some discussion about introducing new legal provisions in either the IPC or the IT Act. However, what uh, a lot of the public discussion has focused on is how intermediaries need to do more to make the internet a safer place. Intermediaries broadly refers to all the platforms 
and all the various service providers through 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 which you access the internet. Um, and so to this end, there have been some efforts again to amend existing legal frameworks. And so two of these, I think, are worth mentioning briefly. Uh, the first was a private members bill, which was introduced in Parliament in 2018 called the Social Media Accountability Bill, which sought to impose a range of obligations on social media platforms and also create a new regulator to oversee the space. However, the bill wasn't actually taken up by Parliament. Another important development were the proposed changes to the intermediaries rules under the IT Act, which Vrinda also spoke about briefly. These were released to the public in December 2018 and basically lay down the due diligence guidelines that intermediaries need to follow in order to not face prosecution for illegal content being shared by users on their platforms. What these amendments tried to do actually was to cast the number of new obligations on intermediaries of all types. So intermediaries basically would be required to use automated tools to filter illegal content. They would also be required to ensure stability <coughs> of all their users and so on. The draft, however, faced a lot of criticism from civil society and industry. I mean, due to the possible chilling effects on speech, on, on speech rights, the, the problems associated with automated filtering of content, the costs to platforms, and so on. So no new, no new rules have as yet been announced by the government, despite the fact that we keep hearing that this may be done anytime. In addition to efforts to amend the law, lots of measures have actually been proposed by courts and government committees in the context of different types of offenses. Um, Commonly seen measures that have been suggested include, for instance, as I mentioned, requiring automated filtering of content or establishing an independent regulator for the internet. Some suggestions have also been made about the need to have independent bodies or civil society based bodies who can help identify illegal online content and tag it. Uh, often the focus has been on the need to smooth and take down processes and for platforms to apply consistent standards of grievance and address and to enable better liaison between uh, law enforcement agencies and intermediaries. However, in the absence of any changes in the legislative structure, courts and governments have largely resorted to blocking content or forcing intermediaries to take ad hoc steps to limit the spread of illegal content. So you might remember, for example, how uh, last year, the Madras High Court threatened to ban TikTok because it was supposedly uh, enabling the circulation of obscene content. Uh, similarly, courts have imposed obligations in a number of different contexts. So, for example, intermediaries are required to screen for content that uh, carries, you know, rape or gang rape related content. Uh, similarly, in the context of certain prenatal sex determination toolkits and so on, there are obligations imposed on intermediaries to filter out this kind of content. It's also important to remember that the government from time to time issues directions, I mean, which has happened most recently in the context of, say, WhatsApp, where they've been asked to take certain uh, steps pertaining to illegal content on their platform. You also have independent regulators like, say, the Election Commission, which has taken some steps in the context of electorally sensitive content and so on. The problem with a lot of these is actually uh, these measures is often they are arbitrary and disproportionate. And in any way, measures like blocking usually don't solve any problem given the sort of ease of reproducing content on the internet. Uh, separately, I think um, it's also worth highlighting that intermediaries themselves do take certain voluntary steps to prevent online harms. I mean, they obviously want to try and limit regulation of the space and also want to respond to concerns of the public and governments. So, for example, streaming platforms have entered into a voluntary code of conduct under the aegis of the IAMAI, which, amongst other issues, requires signatories to establish grievance redress processes. You also have Facebook, for example, which has set up a global independent review board, which will hopefully enable more transparent review of their takedown decisions. Um, of course, the efficacy of many of these measures taken by platforms 
is open to debate, particularly given the sort of perverse incentive that many platforms have to ensure more and more polarizing content is circulated as, as this increases engagement. So overall, yes, some measures are being taken at the level of the state and the private sector. Unfortunately, these are often ill-considered or inadequate. I mean, but it, you have to keep in mind that this is an evolving field and countries across the world are struggling with similar issues. So it's something where we see developments all the time. Yeah, uh, so just, I guess, two, three points. So, you know, Rishabh talked about the proposed intermediary guideline amendments. Uh, and so one of the things that the amendments had proposed was the use of AI. So they said, you know, technology-based automated tools for automated content filtering. And I think one of the things that we are seeing, there's a lot of conversation about this, especially in the West, but conversation in India is also increasing, which is about the problems of using artificial intelligence and how those algorithms are biased. So, you know, when you are saying that an intermediary will, pro an intermediary, you know, so think about Facebook, Facebook or WhatsApp um, or Instagram uh, is proactively blocking content, the problem becomes that there are documented gender, race, appearance bias in all these algorithms on social media platforms, which then discriminate against underrepresented communities, especially, you know, women, women of color, persons of the LGBTQIA plus communities. So I think that's one concern that I wanted to flag with the proposed intermediary rules. The second thing in terms of co online content regulation, not on social media platforms, but on OTT platforms. So Rishabh also mentioned this. There are a bunch of high petitions that have been filed across high courts, including in the Madras High Court, um, also in the Supreme Court, that are seeking to regulate online content of OTT platforms and, you know, to seek a pre-certification, so to speak. So like a sensor board equivalent, maybe. And because of concerns about, you know, the, the, the kind of content and how it's harming Indian culture and harming Indian women. And I think you know, th that is one of the problems when we start regulating or being okay with regulating online content. It's about going too far. So the fact that these courts are considering these petitions, uh, you know, is a problem in and of itself. So the Delhi High Court has actually dismissed a petition saying that the current legal regime is sufficient. Um, the Telecom Regulatory Authority of India has also said we do not need to regulate online content uh, on OTT platforms. Um, another development, uh, you know, which may change le legislation in India is in May 2020, the government set up an expert committee that was looking at reforming Indian criminal law on a substantive basis. So the procedural law, so which is a CRPC, the evidence law, which is the Indian Evidence Act, and the substantive Indian Penal Code. So, you know, it's looking at a wide range of changes to offenses related to sexuality, marriage, offenses of body, offenses of, you know, hate speech. Uh, so sort of all, all across, they're looking to change these um, laws. The problem with that process was actually the representation and the lack of diversity in representation. So this, the government had set up a five-member committee. Um, all five members were male, Hindu, and upper caste. And when you think about the lack of representation of women, Dalits, um, you know, LGBTQ persons, Adivasis, you know, religious minorities, persons with disability, it becomes important because these are the people who are, you know, vulnerable and marginalized groups who are most likely to come in contact with criminal law or be the subject of control through criminal law. And so these communities are most likely to be affected by the committee's recommendations and not including them as part of the, the committee that will actually, you know, submit its recommendations to parliament or to the government is a problem in and of itself. So there are currently public consultations. They've released stakeholders, they've released questionnaires that people are trying to fill in. But I think the importance of diversity in consultations is also something, you know, that we should consider. Um, and finally, the, the personal data protection bill that uh, has, is also being discussed by the Joint Parliamentary Committee also does look to impose certain obligations on social media intermediaries. Um, you know, and that is also another kind of proposed legislation that the government um, has put forward. 
Right. So um, just moving moving this discussion to another slightly more political realm now. But before I get to that, just uh, just to reiterate once again, um, in, in, the, in the way that Kerala has claimed, okay, there is nothing that has replaced uh, 66A and they want some sort of law uh, which, you know, gives the police some powers. Um, is this is this a is this a valid claim that other states can make in the in the fact that what has come after sixty six A is is at the moment too transient too uh, too much in the realm of proposal and not implementation? Uh, I mean, I think yes, states are taking that argument, or states may likely take that argument. One would hope that the Kerala example. I mean, while you know the reason to introduce the amendment may have been politically motivated, I think one thing to look. And, you know, to praise the government is that they have actually backtracked once there has been significant criticism. And that is very rare to see. Right. Uh, And so I think hopefully that may give some cause of, you know, concern to other states before they rush to implement some laws or they kind of recognize that there are possibilities of misuse. So they will try and narrowly tailor the laws. I mean, I think one thing we want to be clear is, you know, obviously a law will be misused and the mere misuse is not enough to strike down a law for, you know, unconstitutionality. But if a law is worded in a manner that is so broad, um, you know, that just does not allow kind of any reasonable interpretation and can be completely uh, and patently subject to different interpretations, such a law will not stand. So I think, yes, the fact that Kerala government took this step may mean that other states may also take this step. Like I've said, Chhattisgarh has already passed an amendment uh, where they've used similarly broad language to criminalize cyber sexual harassment. Uh, and if you see the case of Mohammed Zubair, it's also been implemented, uh, it's also been misused, uh, I would argue. Uh, but I would hope that the Kerala experience in its full, which is that the actual kind of statement by the government to now withdraw the ordinance, will also give, uh, you know, some cause for concern and maybe make states stop and think before they pass any such laws. Or if I they pass the clause, you know, have proper public consultation, have, you know, a proper discussion, try and narrow tailors the law to the, you know, the best possible way. Um, I actually completely agree with Vrinda on this. I think that more than setting a bad example for states, I think the government of Kerala taking the, uh, taking the entirety of the situation has actually set a good precedent, not just for states, but also the central government. Uh, that a government can actually afford to be responsive to criticism and take back laws that are not publicly uh, that that face significant public opposition uh, that said i mean i think we all know that we really don't need new laws for government critics to be silenced or for states to take uh, you know arbitrary action against individuals um, the last few years in particular have seen lots of examples of misuse of laws in both the online and offline context so i mean you've as rinda's already pointed out um, section 67 of the IT Act of 67 is frequently misused. Similarly, despite the fact that 66A was struck down in Shreya Singhal, it continues to be used by police. Um, of course, then you have criminal defamation laws, which have been used against a number of government critics, including various online news portals. Um, we've also, for example, seen various state governments pass laws that seek to limit the spread of COVID-related misinformation, which I would argue are also right Hello. for misuse. Uh, It's also important to keep in mind that there is this increasing trend of using process as punishment. So we've seen this, for instance, in the context of the numerous sedition-related cases that have been filed over the last few years. And all of this actually, to my mind anyway, points to a broader rule of law and state capacity problem in India. And this, again, goes back to something that Vrinda was talking about, that it's really important that laws are properly written and have appropriate safeguards against misuse. I mean, the Supreme Court in a number of cases, whether it's, you know, Shreya Singhal, the Puttaswamy cases, the PUCL case back in the 1990s, or even the Anuradha Basin case, has pointed how 
to how laws need safeguards to prevent against misuse and how this is one check that the court will do when exercising its power of judicial review. One way of doing this is actually to ensure more consultative process while drafting law, something which, as Rinda was saying, is a problem even in the context of the IPC and CRPC amendments. Essentially, there needs to be a realization that criminalization alone can't be the answer to deal with all types of harms in all different contexts. So the law itself, of course, needs to be better designed. We need to have have or develop a proper evidence base that will allow targeted interventions. We also need to consider alternative, less intrusive solutions. So these could include, for instance, putting in place procedural norms for intermediaries to follow. Uh, This is something that other jurisdictions like in Germany and the EU are looking to do. So we can therefore try and ensure proper grievance redress systems for users, ensure greater transparency and accountability of platforms and what they are doing, how they use their algorithms and so on. Um, second, I think it's obviously important that we focus on improving state capacity, for instance, through improving training officials, ensuring proper funding, so on and so forth. Basically, we can't have silver bullet solutions either in the form of criminalization or by casting broad obligations on intermediaries to weed out all illegal content from the internet and to make sure that the internet is safe for everyone. Both these sort of steps are likely to lead to excessive or arbitrary clampdowns on expression on the internet, which the Supreme Court has realized has has specifically said is a particularly important medium um, for the dissemination of thoughts and ideas. So just one last thing to cover, um, you know, like the like the Kerala government uses the Police Act, um, you know, to and adapts it to content online. Are there is there a problem of states having this multiplicity of laws that they can actually um, adapt to online content and you know perhaps circumvent central laws? Um, I wouldn't say that it's a problem as such because our constitution does recognize that states can make criminal law. What could be problematic is either if you have um, a, you know, a variety of different types of laws being passed to deal with the same issue, which is not ideal, particularly given that the internet is a virtual space, so it might not, it might lead to inconsistency. Uh, second is the issue that very often state amendments are not going to get public, uh, not going to be in the public news or not going to get limelight in the same way that central laws may actually go through a a more rigorous process of of examination, even if it's just by the public. For example, numerous states have, you know, amended laws such as their Gundas Acts and so on to also apply these to the digital space. However, there's very little discussion on how exactly these laws are actually being implemented and so on. Right. Um, Brenda, you want to jump in there? The only interesting thing, I think, you know, talking about state laws and the Kerala Police Act, so Shreya Singhal, which is the judgment that we were obviously discussing, uh, which struck down 66A, also struck down Section 118 of the Kerala Police Act, um, which had a similar provision to uh, Section 66A. Um, So it's also interesting that sort of Kerala is doing that again. It came in the limelight. So in Shreya Singhal, 118 of the Police Act was struck down. And it also had, you know, it sort of criminalized speech that caused annoyance to any person in any indecent manner. And the court said that that is also overbroad and it adopted the similar analysis as 66A. Uh, so even if a state does it, of course, it is subject to constitutional challenge. Uh, and I think, I mean, my, and this is a pure hypothetical um, conjecture on my part, but I think one of the reasons that this Kerala example also just sort of became so big is it re- received a lot of media attention, I think, because the state was Kerala that was doing it. And so, you know, I think, Kind of all of those factors came together. So, for instance, when Chhattisgarh amended the IPC, uh, which it has the power to do as a state, every state can amend the Indian Penal Code 
in a manner right. that they deem fit. So that power is there in law. They, you know, and they criminalize sexual harassment by electronic mode. They actually use similar language, right? So the law says that whoever using any internet mode or electronic mode, you know, creates or makes any comments which are obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, or indecent with an intent to harass, um, you know, will be uh, sort of uh, will be punished. Now, what is filthy, right? Like that is such a vague term as well. But I think yeah. it was just a combination of factors that led to this Kerala example being discussed. Uh, and I think that's why the government also backtracked. Whereas I think in many cases, when amendments are made, they just don't get, uh, especially state level amendments, they just don't get that kind of national attention. Right. Okay. I think we'll wrap it up there. I think we've covered a lot of points in this discussion. And um, Rishabh and Rinda, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast today and for making time for us. Thank, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Bye-bye. See All you. Right.